So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 10. We're going to be talking about the priesthood. We've talked yesterday, or last, yesterday, last, last week, we've talked about the people. What, would the, what were the people like? Today, we're going to be talking about the priesthood. The reason we need to talk about the priesthood is we have to understand why are these people having trouble following God? There was really no established priesthood up until Mount Sinai. They came out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai with Moses. They got the Ten Commandments, but they also got a whole lot of other laws. They got the technical description of how to build the tabernacle, and they were expected to know and to keep these laws. And if you read the book of Judges, and I encourage you to do that as well, you'll notice it says that when Joshua died and the priest Eleazar died, they didn't really pass on to the next generation the laws of God. And because they didn't pass on to the next generation, it says a, a generation grew up, really didn't know God. And that is going to be a problem. So the priesthood, why does God need priests now? Well, he gives the law and he gives a sacrificial system. The priests are supposed to intervene for the people. So if we go to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1, starting in verse 1. Nadab and Abihu are Aaron's sons. So Aaron and his sons are the priests. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The actual word is strange fire. Basically, they were supposed to have censers. There was a very specific methodology that God wanted to, his priests to follow. And Nadab and Abihu sort of thought this was a bit of a game. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Basically, they were just fooling around. They thought that this was sort of, they were treating God sort of like they would treat another idol. You give what you want, you do what you want, and the idol is happy with it. Why? Because the idol really represents you. They're happy with what you're happy with. God is laid down the law at Mount Sinai, said, I'm not like you, by the way. I am much holier than you, and I want you to strive in the direction of holiness. Right away, what happens? Aaron's sons start playing a game, and they died. Let's go to verse 8 and of Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. That might be a clue as to what was happening. Let's have a drink. Let's put some fire here. Let's play around with some things. 
don't mix alcohol and your worship. This is not a frenzy. It's not a game. It's not a playtime. You are to, verse 10 of chapter 10 of Leviticus. You are to distinguish, you priests are to distinguish between holy and the common. You priests are to distinguish between the holy and the common. But we find out, guess what? That we are all priests now in the New Testament. God's intention was that we would be a kingdom of priests. And those of us who have accepted Jesus as Messiah, the Holy Spirit lives in us and we are priests. We are to act as priests. So all of us are priests to distinguish the holy from the common. And our society wants to get us to think what is holy, the things that are sanctified, marriage, worship of God. It's common. Sexuality, common. It's a game. Play around. You see the tension. You see the tension. And when we're spending our time watching things on the television or the video or whatever it is that are not treating the holy as holy, they're treating it as common. I want us to be questioning, are we really worshiping God? Do you cringe when his name is used in vain? Do you cringe when you see violence, illicit sex, cursing, how many acts of adultery have we seen by this time in our lives? How many acts of violence? How many acts of adultery? How... It's drama to us. It's normal TV drama. Do we treat what is holy as common? You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. Verse 11, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. The job of the priest is to teach God's word to the people. It's their job. Now let's turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man in Ramath Amzophim in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. We're talking about Samuel's family. We talked about some other people from the hill country of Ephraim, right? Joshua is from Ephraim. Guess what? Samuel is born here. Samuel's family is from Ephraim. They are Levites. We're talking about a lot of Levites. If, if, those of you who read the last uh, chapters of Judges, which are difficult to read, a lot of talk about the Levites and what they were doing. And we're going to start talking about that today. What we just read from Leviticus is supposed to apply to the Levites. They're supposed to be teaching the people the, the word of God. But this Levite, verse 2 of 1 Samuel 1, Elkanah, the Ephrathite, has two wives. Automatically, you should be thinking, well, two what? Two wives? 
out of God's plan. Thank you. It's already you're starting to think what is what is holy, what is common. One's name was Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So they're in the hill country of Ephraim, and they're going to go to Shiloh. The Ark of the Covenant is here. Eli is the priest's. Hophni and Phinehas are his sons. I'm going to let you read that, the rest of that story on your own. It's a great story, but we're trying to get, it, get ourselves situated to talk about David. So I'm going to go with you now to chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 12. Because we're trying to establish what the priesthood was like. Why did the people not know God? Well, we're going to learn why they don't know God. In verse 12 of chapter 2, 1 Samuel. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Ooh, okay. Another version may say scoundrels, right? This is a very low term. This is not what you want. They did not know the Lord. We just heard that the people didn't teach the next generation about the Lord. They were just assuming they were going to get it. Yes. So I'm reading the English Standard Version, the ESV. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. By the way, priest's servant, it's young man. Basically, he's talking about these two sons. The priest's servant, Eli's servant, was his two, were his two sons. Let's see what his two sons are doing. While the meat was boiling, they would take a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or kettle or, or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Basically, they it's very clear that they're supposed to get either the shoulder or the right thigh, or the brisket. God had given the priests good meat, but it wasn't enough for them. They didn't want brisket. They wanted the sirloin bits. They were going to find something better, and it get, but it gets even worse. They, God has commanded them to burn the fat. No man is supposed to eat the fat. The fat is the choicest part of the animal that is supposed to be burned to the Lord. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants, these young men, would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Wow. This is what's happening at the center of worship in Israel. Basically, 
let's imagine you had taken your sacrifice there. By the way, this is called a peace offering. God commanded it that you would bring this animal. The animal would be sacrificed. You would cook the meat and you would eat there with the Lord. It was communion. You were communing there with the Lord. Possibly the priest would join you. You would bring your family. That's why you're going to read in 1 Samuel that he gave portions to his, to his wives and sons when they did this. This was a, this was a family mealtime. This was a celebration before the Lord. And imagine how you would feel if basically you were robbed when you got there. Instead of burning the fat, which you knew was important, they took it. They didn't want it boiled. They wanted to roast it later for themselves that night. How eager would you be to go again to worship at that church? We are so quick to dismiss anything that doesn't go our way. If someone actually you know, is stealing from you, it would be very unlikely that you would really want to go again. So it's no wonder the people were not very tuned into the word of God because the people who were representing God, his priests, were twisted. Now, Eli does rebuke his sons, and I want you to read that. I want you to read that in these first chapters of Samuel. Um, he does rebuke his sons, but he really does nothing. He says, look, you're doing wrong. You guys should stop it. He, he doesn't step in really and do anything to correct them. A couple of things we find out about Eli, the priest. He was blind. And he was very heavy. You'll find that as you read the first chapters of Samuel. Oftentimes, physical descriptions are also telling us something about people spiritually. What do you think it meant that the priest was blind? He wasn't seeing what was happening. Is there anyone else in scripture you could recall was also blind? Samson. Samson was blinded. Good, good. I hadn't thought of that one. There's another one. One of the patriarchs actually says he was blind. Isaac. Talking about Isaac. Is there anything Isaac wasn't seeing? His sons, Jacob and... Jacob was supposed to be favored, but who did Isaac want? Esau. He was blind. You see, God is giving us clues into what's happening in the family, what's really going on with someone by their blindness. When someone's come now, we know from the New Testament, not all blindness is because of sin. So we don't want to be heavy-handed when we talk to people about difficulties with their eyesight. But I will tell you, when someone would come to me to the office and they had a change in their vision, If they were interested spiritually, I would ask them questions, essentially framing it like this. Is there anything that you're not seeing in your family you don't want to see? Something with God is telling you, but you don't want to see it. 
something you need to correct in your life, you don't want to see it. I would always present them the spiritual side of their physical illness. And I would present it in a way as a question, not as a judgment, not as a club, because it's low-hanging fruit. If this is spiritual and you correct it, your vision will improve. How about hearing? Anything you don't want to hear? How about your balance? Anything causing you to be off balance? Every physical ailment, you can look at it in a spiritual way. And I hope that you will. Not with condemnation. Just saying, you know what? The spiritual world is a reality. We are so tied to this material world, what I can see, what pills I can take, my doctor visits, is it on the x-ray? We are talking about a spiritual world. And if you have difficulty focusing on the spiritual world, and most of us do, because we're so tied to our phones and to those dings we hear, it, it, it focuses us. It's dopamine. We love the material world because we can see it, we feel we can control it, and we quickly dismiss the spiritual. And I believe God is always sort of knocking on our door. Hey, there's a spiritual world. Spiritual world. Pay some attention. Pay some attention. Not in a condemning way. So Eli was fat. He was heavy. Why was the priest so heavy? Maybe he liked looking at the meat. Was he just looking at the meat? He was eating the fat. Thank you, somebody said. He, right, his sons were taking it in, and he was, oh, look at what we got today. So even though he wasn't, he wasn't getting it out of the pot himself. His sons were saying, look, we want a little, you know, it was a game to them. Just like Nadab and Abihu, the priests, Aaron's sons thought it was a game. So Hophni and Phinehas believed it was a game. It also says some things about them. They slept with the women at the, at the tent of meeting. These were not uh, good men. It says actually that they turned aside. Again, they turned aside after gain. Hophni and Phinehas turned aside after gain. Like I was telling you, if you're heading toward the Lord, all you need is a little bit of a turn aside and you're not going to be progressing. They wanted gain. But Samuel, I wanted to, to talk about Samuel and his sons. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Samuel turns out to be an incredible priest. He is an incredible priest. He's a righteous man. He calls people to righteousness. He doesn't take any gain from anyone. At the end of his life, he can stand up and say, have I taken anything from anyone? Almost like Jesus saying, can anyone convict me of sin? Nobody could convict Samuel of any sin. He was an amazing priest. Chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. 
The name of the first was Joel. The name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Beersheba's down here. See it? Beersheba's all the way to the south. Samuel's up here. He had a little circuit he made in the central Israel, but he sent his sons to be judges down there because people in the south needed judges. There was a problem. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Behold, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge, like all the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now then, verse 9, Obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel also was unable to transmit his righteousness to his sons. So what I want you to think about this week is why. Why are righteous men unable to translate, transmit, their righteousness to their sons. What is it that it takes? What, what goes wrong? I'm also wanting you to answer these questions as you're reading. What does God want? You can say, what do people want? Or really, what, what do I want? And then what's an idol? What are some idols what might you notice is taking your attention away from God? Most people will say, you know, reading the Bible seems boring to me. It's, it's kind of dull. I don't feel like it. One, of the thing we, one thing we haven't spent a lot of time talking about is what is the kingdom of evil up to all this time? Just nothing. Just has no effect on all these people going astray. What if there's an active war against them? It's not really discussed much in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shows up, he's casting demons out of all kinds of people. How did that happen? What is going on in the kingdom of evil to keep you addicted to your idols? Sports, sports or sports, thank you. Or your TV shows, or whatever it is. Yeah. Your, your, your food, your refrigerator. When Eli had his own. Look, Eli knew what his sons were doing, he, but he somehow seemed to enjoy it, kept the family together. He had an idol. It was his family. It was his boys. His boys ended up dying because he did not instruct them wisely. So we want to be righteous, but we don't want to be self-righteous. And we can be talking about that. It's easy to get, the pendulum can swing too far one way or another. Ultimately, God is a good father. He wants good for his kids. He doesn't want fire to come out destroying people. That was never his goal. Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10. 
It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God has to make sure people respect him, reverence him, or the relationship is going nowhere. But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. If you read, he, he wants to have communion. He wants to eat with people. He wants to be close to people. He wants to celebrate with people. He wants to be part. He wants you to walk with him. Many of us did not have fathers or parents who walked well with us. They were critical. They were angry. So we don't even know what it's like to walk with a good father. It's not even in the template of our mind. But it can be. If we focus on it, if we review it, if we study these scriptures and we personalize them. As extra credit, I would like you to read the book of Ruth. It's one of the books I like to read several times a year, one of my favorite books. It occurs during this period of the judges that is so incredibly dark. There is a light. God always has his remnant. There is a righteous man named Boaz. And he acts actually in God's stead. He is the kinsman redeemer, which ultimately is who Jesus turns out to be. It's a type of Christ. And I would love you for you to read that story as well. As you turn off your televisions and start focusing on the scriptures this week, come with some questions. Fill up this basket with questions and ask the Lord. Naomi and I read we yesterday we read almost all day, chapter after chapter, asking each other questions. Now, why did that happen? That sounds unusual. Talk about these things. That's that is what will lead to a love for God. If you don't understand what he did or why he did it, make a note and ask him. It says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. God, why did you do that? What was happening there? It sounds like you were a little bit harsh, a little bit angry. Is that your personality? Because when Jesus shows up, it says he's the exact nature, the exact imprint of the Father. So, Father, we thank you for bringing us all together today. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments. And we thank you for your love by sending Jesus to be the sacrifice to bring us to you. Pray a blessing on everyone in Jesus' name. Amen.